I think one of the beauties, and when I say one of the beauties, I mean one among many, many beautiful things of Shirobindo's thought is that there is no nothing which is regarded as small or insignificant or trivial. The most trivial things are joined to the most profound. And the division we normally make between the sacred and the profane, between world and God, between soul and nature, that is annulled or rather that is bridged. It's almost like or rather it is like the infinite pouring himself through the finite. The eternal dallying and playing with time and the permanent when we look at transient things, we see them as changing masks of the permanent. So, there are several aspects of everyday life on which Shirobindra and the mother have set their light. There is not a single aspect. The other day someone was mentioning to me that, you know, Shirobindra has not said anything about this issue. And all that I could say was that the person has not read Shirobindra. <laughs> That's as simple as that. <laughs> there is nothing on which Shirobindra and the mother have not spoken. From the smallest of things to the largest of things. And of course, the subject today being birdie and the cycles of time is very much within the ambit of Shurabindra and the mother's yoga. Long back with the Arya, Shurabindra gave this message of all life is yoga. And it is given to mother to turn it into actually practically how all life can become yoga. And the principle is very simple. Normally our life is centered around the ego. And to center the life around the divine is to make all life a yoga. In principle, that's the basic thing. As long as life is centered around the ego, lived for the ego, by the ego, life of the ego, it's not a yogic life. Whatever we may do, we may be standing before, the, before God himself. And yet I may be full of egoistic desires that can't be called a yogic life. I may visit a temple... 10,000 times in a year and it won't be yogic life. But wherever I am, whatever I may be doing, if I do it in the spirit of consecration and offering with an aspiration to the divine, then it begins to assume a more and more yogic character. The same applies to birthdays. But before we touch upon birthdays, just briefly upon the cycles of time and the significance of birthdays. So we know that time and space are born with the first stir of creation and it's, it's a stir which is in the form of a vibration. We know that it spreads all around from that one single point if we have to speak the language of the physicist. But if you have to speak, speak a spiritual language, then we would say it's a point that is a fathomless infinite or the zero that carries all within itself. And as it bursts forth through the first word of creation, the walk, it spreads all around. And as it spreads, it creates space in the infinite void. And the rhythms that come out of it become the rhythms of time. We, may, we have so many images in Indian thought, the dance of Shiva, the, the Lasya of Shiva and Parvati of Krishna and so many other images which basically reveal this significant truth that dance of the eternal creates time, the rhythm beats of time. But just as in, as physicists would tell us, and I was recently reading a modern theory which comes very close to Indian thought, that all these cycles go to a point and then they collapse back. So end and the beginning are together. They are in the same state. And then again new cycle emerges. And both Indian thought and occult traditions tell us that it's the seventh cycle of creation, which is a creation of equilibrium and harmony, not meant for dissolution. Whatever it be, as these vibrations spread further and further, there are others, other interactions which take place. They become more and more chaotic, more and more faint. And eventually a state comes when the whole thing begins to turn back upon itself. We have plenty of billion years for that to happen. So we need not worry about it. But from that moment, time is born. And there are many things which follow this cyclic pattern because of the presence of time. From the atomic movements to the drift of galaxies. Everything forms a, follows a cyclic pattern. If we look at the way our own galaxy is shaped and drifting, we will see that it is very much like the design of Auroville. 
I am saying it the other way round on purpose because I am sure that the conception of Auroville existed before the drifting of the galaxies came into being. <laughs> so, so we see that actually that, you know, this whole thing drifts in a very cyclical pattern. The sun moves, sun also moves and the sun moves in a cyclical way. And everything in between from the atom to the galaxies and their drift is a cyclical thing. When we come to human beings, we see several cycles which are there within us. For instance, the most common cycle is day and night. And there are things which happen during day. There are things which happen during night. And if we try to upset the cycle, it creates havoc upon the system. I mean, there are people who keep awake at night, which are called as nishachar in Indian thought. <laughs> and it's not a good thing because it imbalances the system. Of course, uh, I'm also sure that these cycles are not rigid. They are. There is a lot of changes going on, and there is a lot of plasticity. Uh, because of these changes, plasticity is uh, developing within the human system. But that apart, everything from the secretion of the gastric juices to the um, to the reproductive cycle, there, everything follows a cyclical pattern. And there is a state in which we can be attuned to these cycles, just like the seasons. People who were early humanity, it was very much tuned to these cycles and they followed these instincts. Like they knew when they are hungry and they would eat. But man eats whether he is hungry or not. <laughs> For us, because we are mentalized beings, so it's become either uh, a vital distortion that, you know, I just want to eat to enjoy or it has become a purely mental thing that, you know, I must eat at this time, whether I am hungry or not. So we have lost that. In early children, we see, you know, little babies, they know very much when they are hungry, they will cry and they will eat it. And they very well, you know, it works well with the system. So similarly, the early humanity attunes itself to these cycles. And it's very good to attune yourself to the cycle because then you are in the rhythm of nature. You are not falling out of time. And it's very good for the balance and harmony of our system as such. There are also psychological cycles. People know that, you know, there are moments when we are very creative there are moments when we are very happy. There are moments when we are we are very depressed. And these moments are not about morning and evening. They can be spread over days or they can be spread over months or weeks. Uh, many people are very creative, for instance, during winter season. And during summer, they just can't write a single poetry or prose writings. So there are cycles even with regard to our psychological movements. There are moments when we are very, very psychically open, when everything is very beautiful, when everything speaks of the inherent divinity. And there are moments when everything is veiled, clouded, uh, everything gets confused. And this is a very elaborate field of study, astrology and uh, many ways people have tried to study it. And each carries a, uh, some truth, not the whole of truth. But the beauty of man is that he can use the cycles by a conscious knowledge of them. And he can also eventually master the cycles. This is the beauty of man. This is not given to animal kind. Animals are uh, driven by the cycles and it's wonderful. So they are in harmony with, sync with everything. Uh, but human beings, there is something in them which wants to not only understand but also master the cycles. Now first about understanding. So each of us can observe our own cycles. Like we can make an observation that what are the moments when I am most receptive. Now, we can tune it to cycles in nature. Like, for instance, when people sit for meditation. So, one of the best time is very early morning or late evening. And we had a very interesting way to uh, say this. Uh, when I was a child, uh, I heard from my parents that in the evening, when it is around 6, Godholi Vela, we should uh, not do anything which is wrong. Of course, we should not do anything which is wrong any time. <laughs> but at least that time, it hits very hard. Why? Because of a simple reason that that is a time when Shiva is taking the round. And so he is watching over us. So as a child I just accepted it. When I grew up I questioned it. And much later I understood it. That Shiva's round simply means that all nature is still. It's in a state of quietude. The birds return back. They are quiet. The cattle, they, they are quiet. And all nature is quiet. So around 6 o'clock if we are... 6 o'clock I mean when basically the evening is melting into the night or the night is showing us the first daybreak, signs of the daybreak. This is a time when all nature is still and quiet. It's as if watching a grand, uh, witnessing a grand phenomena 
though it's seeing it every day and at that point of time uh, if we just tune ourselves it facilitates it's very good to meditate at that point of time it may be difficult because of various routines we have but if one can tune it it's very nice so it's one example of tuning ourselves to the rhythms of time similarly sleep it's well known for instance that if you sleep by 10 30 11 o'clock latest and wake up by 5 5 30 it's very good for the body point of view because all the hormones follow this pattern so after 10 30 the sleep hormones become active and the wake hormones become less and less now if we force ourselves to keep awake then we lose that cycle for next two hours we'll be again awake like an owl and we'll wait for the next wave and then again we dip similarly if we wake up around 5 36 all the waking up hormones are active in the system and so things go smooth so this is about how we can utilize some of the rhythms of time which we have become aware but there are other rhythms of which we are not aware and one such thing which of course there are many many aspects of it but one such thing is the birthday now Shirobinda and the mother have given a very interesting place to birdies. Uh, it was to use a human term another excuse for people to go near the mother and initially they didn't understand why it is so why is mother giving so much special importance to birdies particularly before 1938 people could go and uh, not only sit near the mother, they could request her to, you know, do something for them. And the mother would do it. And it could be things like, please play the piano. Mm -hmm. uh, can we imagine that, you know, uh, someone could ask the mother, please play the piano for me. <laughs> and the mother would play the piano. <laughs> it's so wonderful. And somebody could ask for a message. Someone, someone could write a letter. And it was almost like a elaborate ritual that you know the flower room will arrange all the flowers and uh, you know the person would carry it to the mother then again in the afternoon there would be another set of flowers then in the evening at night another set of flowers then it came like two sets of flowers one which one takes to the mother and another which mother gives then mother on that day would of course otherwise also she would play many games she she plays games with this whole creation but one of the games mother would play was flower games when she would arrange these flowers put these flowers in an order and they would make a sentence like you know um, through devotion and gratitude and surrender we could achieve psychological perfection so devotion gratitude surrender and psychological perfection would be the flowers and the disciple had to make these sentences so it, it was a great moment that from morning till night later on things changed and oh, the disciple could go to the mother only when the mother opened the door but nevertheless every one had some time or the other when one could get a very personal glimpse of the mother to some she would grant an interview so people asked quite naturally shobindo that uh, why is it what is the great significance and like many aspects of our life shobindo has shed light through numerous letters so very often when people ask me life divine is very difficult so i ask the same question why are you reading the life divine did anyone ask you to read the life divine <laughs> so sir what should we read first of all read mother's writings to start with and if you want to read shirbindo read letters on yoga so you know all these things have gone in letters on yoga but if you feel the urge and asked for it like uh, one of our students who is now smiling. So I said, okay, take this life divine. So she said, when do I return it? I said, keep it. So she didn't understand why am I saying this? Because I knew it will take a lifetime to read it. <laughs> so if I ask her to return it, I'll be doing an injustice. <laughs> so I said, okay, you keep it and just carry with you. Uh, the reason was that life divine is, you know, is a lifetime of study. But life let human. Life human. <laughs> <laughs> so so well said so you know we we can pick up these letters and uh, some of these letters with regard to birthday so when shubindu was asked about the birthday there are many letters of his and uh, he says something very interesting there is a rhythm one among many in the play of the world forces in shubindu's yoga the knowledge of the world forces is a must, not even essential or just one can, it's good to have it. When Shubhinda was asked this question, he said it's a must for this yoga because we are in the world play. We don't shun world and become ascetics of the old order and run away from the world or just cut the snare of time ruthlessly and enter into the infinite. No, we don't do that. We want to make the infinite pour into the finite 
and the two meet together. So we have to understand what the technology of the world is. That's why we see in Shurbindo Savitri, the longest book is book two, the book of the traveler of the worlds, because we need to understand what the world is like. Um, otherwise, we can't deal with it, <laughs> how it is made, what can become of it, what are the forces that have gone into its making, how they interact with each other. So here Shubhinder says there is a rhythm, one among many, in the play of the world forces, which is connected with the sun and planets. There is a lot of things Shubhinder has spoken about the sun and planets, but they are not about conventional astrology because conventional astrology looks, at least now, looks at sun and planets only as external objects. But in its origin, it meant it's about the uh, subtle forces of which the sun and the planets are merely physical symbols. So, but actually it is the movement of the subtle forces, which um, physically we can see. Just like, you know, when we talk about the hand, etc., they are nothing but notations. Uh, so, it's not that the hand decides the fate. It would be an error to say that the hand decides the fate. But it would be right to say that our fate decides the hand. So, you know, there are forces which move us and they automatically, uh, you know, come together either in uh, hand or face everywhere. And a very simple example for this is, you know, when uh, people, um, yeah, a very simple example is um, about, you know, how things uh, affect our physical being. So, uh, mother speaks of it that I saw a person who came to me and suddenly when the person... Uh, spoke something like a lie, falsehood. She said, I saw the whole face twisting. Now, if we observe very closely, we'll see when people tell a lie or when they are angry. Angry is an easier thing to see because human beings have learned the craft of covering lie with another lie and keep on putting such a face as if, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm speaking the truth. So, you know, but... Anger is a very obvious thing because you can't conceal it for long. But it tends to change the face. Now imagine if people are habitually angry, it will show, show it on the face. So one of the things when people ask that how to remain beautiful, I suggest don't get angry because you know, <laughs> anger is not good. It will take away. <laughs> don't have to bother about makeup. Simply, you know, stop getting angry. Stop getting, you know, excited, jealous. All this is not good. The face will get distorted. Whatever you may put eventually on the face. But you can't change the contours of the face. So, you know, this is the way we understand uh, the influence of inner movements on outer things. So, sun and planets are simply outer movements which represent an inner working. That makes the birthday a day of possible renewal. Now, Shubhinder used the word possible. It depends on us. If we can use it to our advantage, fine. If we cannot, then, you know, we lose it. When the being is likely to be more plastic, it is for this reason that mother sees people on their birthdays. Now, when we look at it, we see that what a big difference between birthdays here and birthdays outside. Because outside centered around the ego. So we know buddy is a special day, but what do we end up doing? We basically, you know, one becomes at the center of everything and goes partying and uh, I mean, I need not mention drink and dine and, you know, all kinds of things on birthday. But here the whole idea is that this is a beautiful moment when the whole being is very plastic. It's a cycle. When we are born, we are born with a certain will inside us. We are not conscious of that will, but it's a sankalpa. It's a faith or will to be that makes us enter into a human form or makes us take a human body. Now, every birthday, this will to be comes back to the surface to renew itself. So it's a beautiful moment when we can be face to face with the eternal and renew it and express it. Otherwise, most of the time we are not even conscious of what is our basic aspiration. Of course, we go and whatever is on the surface, we express it. Of course, those who are conscious, I am not speaking of that. But what happens mostly. But that is a day when very spontaneously the will to be comes to the surface. And it's so easy to become aware of one's aspiration. And therefore, the whole being is receptive. That is the day of our day with the Lord. And uh, I must say, I have learned this with a lot of... <laughs> everybody learns it with so much of, you know... Uh, error. So I also learnt it with so much of error that really this is a day when you should be actually alone with the Lord. 
It's really a day for that. Because it's your day with the divine. No other day in this day is when it's your exclusive day with the divine. But this is a day when it's your, your exclusive day with the divine. And it's a wonderful opportunity to, of course, it doesn't mean that one says, I'm not going to see anyone or meet anyone. But at least we can basically celebrate it in that spirit that this is a day when I have maximum opportunity to be in tune with the Lord because he is speaking to me. He has come and he is close to me. And imagine I can ask anything to the divine because this promise stands even though outwardly the form changed. But essentially that people could go to the mother and ask her maybe to play a piano or to remove a difficulty. That is the essence. So one can ask for that. I mean, there are such beautiful stories, of course, we all know. But worth remembering that uh, uh, Amrita on his birthday, how mother asked him, Amrit, what do you want? And Amrita doesn't know what to say or rather he is very smart. And Because the moment we would ask, probably we will reduce what the mother can give us. So mother made it even more clear. Amrit, you ask whatever you want, I'll give you. Liberation, transformation, I mean, the doors have flung open. Amrita is still quiet. Then people nudge him, ask something. And he says, Mother, I want two banyans. <laughs> and <laughs> with this wonderful sense of humor. So people said, what man, you missed the opportunity. He said, see, Mother plays with us. Of course he can give these things. You think she is waiting for us to ask her? Of course he will give these things. So then why did you ask? Mother's order. When she is pressing me to ask, I must ask. I can't uh, disobey her. So I need two banyas. Other things I know she has granted. So there are such beautiful stories that on birthday, you know, people I know of another person who went to mother and uh, he said, mother, I want self-realization. Mother asked in this life, in this life. Mother became very, very quiet. And then she said, okay, she granted. And then this man shared with me, that I had to go through so many difficulties and my wife told me, you asked for it. <laughs> he says, but everything became a step towards that. That if I had not gone through it, I would not reach that point. He says that the moment I asked for it and mother went into a deep trance because she knew what he's asking for and she granted it. But he had to go through so many things and his wife would remind him, well, you asked for it. <laughs> so, so you see, we should, we should know what to ask. And when we ask, we should know that there is a prize always for it. We can't have the divine and the ego both together, you know. <laughs> they, so if we ask for the divine, we must know that he is going to thrash and smash our egos. There is no second option. It is not a question of a physical birthday or of the body. It is taken as an occasion for opening a new year of life with a growing new birth within. So it's, people must have thought, after all this is the body. Though Shurabindra has given so much importance to everything including the body. What is there about the body? We are supposed to you know, get body is just a cloak of ignorance. So someone has probably asked Shurabindra that why should we celebrate the birth of a body? But it's not the birth of a body. It's the birth of a soul in a human body. It's the soul assuming a body. And that is what Shurabindra is saying of a new birth within. That is the meaning in which the mother takes the birthday. And then of course, uh, on birthdays, this is the mother, on birthdays, the anniversaries of one's physical birth, one can have the new consciousness one desires and can start on a higher course to a yet higher plane of consciousness. So it's a wonderful opportunity to, to really start a new journey, to start open a new door, to take to a new consciousness to go to a new higher plane. And of course, we can also take it that it's not that we have to wait for the body. It's like when Darshan days, mother said they are special days because they are days of special descent. But then she said later on that nowadays these descents take place more often and very unexpectedly. So the Darshan days, I suppose there are many more Darshan days taking place, days of descent and we have to remain tuned to it. So that also the mother said that it's not necessarily on Darshan days. In fact, she has said that on Darshan days very often dark forces come and when the disciple said, but I feel joy mother, she said, yes, could be a vital joy. This, these are her words in 1958. She said, because now you have to be more and more attuned inwardly to the great descent which is taking place. So similarly, 
that there are many levels of birth within us just not just the physical birth but the vital birth the psychological birth the mental birth and of course the spiritual birth so in the ashram there is another very interesting tradition um, and someone was sharing just very recently that the person came and didn't know what the birthday is because this also happens that we don't know our birthdays those days and uh, so the mother the day one saw the mother that became the birthday and the mother herself has said like this this take it as your birthday because i don't know mother when is my birthday take it as your birthday so some people mother even whatever name she wrote became their name so even uh, if the name was something else if mother wrote it in a different way so that became the name so it's like there is a spiritual birth so we can look at it both ways so there are a lot of people who celebrate two birthdays in the ashram context <laughs> one is when they are born first born that is assuming a physical body and it's a special day because that's a anniversary which repeats <laughs> itself and the second is when they either first came to the ashram today's context or when they first had the darshan of shirobindo or met the mother they take it as that's the second birth what is called as dwij the twice born in indian tradition so people have the great privilege in ashram of celebrating two two birthdays but unfortunate me i had this both things happening on the same day so i can't celebrate two birthdays <laughs> i wish i could but one way it is better that you know it's less confusing so you don't have to bother about it so she says that every time one attains to a new field of consciousness one has a new birth thus one may have hundreds of new births but for that we have to be very very conscious so birth is not just birth in a physical body but birth into a new consciousness and of course it could be birth into a new body of a subtler kind if you become aware of our let's say our own higher mental koshas so we become fully conscious and operative there then there's another kind of birth of our spiritual being of a psychic being so they become moments which are etched out in the memory of time and i know of people who became aware of their inmost soul and they just couldn't forget that day and that day would repeat itself and this is have in a context outside the ashram but connected with mother and shirobindo and that was a day which clearly they marked ki okay this day i had this momentous experience and then just around that time they would start feeling just like they would feel for the birthday and on that day something or the other would happen in a subtle way and that also becomes a kind of birthday so uh, nevertheless the birthday is such a beautiful thing new creation is like a new birth not of an individual but of the whole earth that is what shirobindo is trying for so of course now it is accomplished the new creation from 29th february 1956 so that again becomes our birth then there is the birth of the creation then sometimes we can have more than one birthdays like mother's birthday is our birthday also because without her we would not be so at one point of time mother on one of her birthdays i think it was the 80th birthday she wished bonani to everyone Uh, and uh, bon, she wished bonani and bonfaith and she said that uh, she particularly she said that i feel it is everybody's birthday and it's so true that you know our birth is because of her presence otherwise it won't be birth so there are so many ways we can look at it and um, then there are few very interesting incidents which i may read sometime people would receive a new name and among these names there there are some very interesting things to some western disciples shubindu gave a very indian name like padma arindam medanand and i think uh, rijuta some other disciples whereas to some indian disciples she gave a very western name like violet aster rose albert <laughs> so it's very interesting strange are ways i mean it it was uh, you know special names which were received on birthdays but they were very different names there is a very interesting little story which i remember somebody who was waiting for the mother uh, at the staircase on the birthday and she was carrying some roses and then she observed that one of the roses has become four petals have become very uh, they are fading away so her first impulse was to take it out and throw it away 
Then she said, but it's like my inner being. I have good things and I have things which are fading away and full of blemishes. So let me just take it to the mother. So when she went to the mother, she said, mother, uh, rest of the roses she kept. And then she said, mother, this one is me. <laughs> With all my good side and bad side and all my defects and blemishes, I offer my inner being to you. Mother was very happy. She went into a trance and gave a lot of blessings. She was very touched and happy. So you see everything. I mean this impulse that I must give the best is also beautiful. And this impulse, because it depends on the state in me. If we are sincere, that look, whatever. It doesn't mean that we have to now look for roses which have defects. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. But if something like this happens, we know that, you know, Basically, whatever we are, we offer ourselves like that to the mother. So both things have their own meaning. And of course, in the ashram, not only individuals, even the departments have their bodies. So in ashram, you know, <laughs> particularly in group, we distribute things. So my group, the H group, is often known as birthday group <laughs> because we are 108 of us. <laughs> and <laughs> every two, three weeks, we have somebody's birthday and therefore ice cream, ice cream group. <laughs> Not birthday group, ice cream group. So there are ice cream going around the year. So I don't know whether we do more exercise <laughs> or we eat more ice cream. But basically, you see, it's like sharing that moment and the joy of that moment. And in the ashram context, you have department birthdays, you have then special days. So every day at the end of the day can become a special day. So when, you know, earlier... A lot of people used to say, what is this India? Every day there is something festival or the other, you have a holiday. So I said, holiday part, I don't agree. Yes, you should not have holiday, you should work. But festival part, I, I completely agree. Why shouldn't we have every day as a festival? Why should every day, you know, we should have only four festivals in a year when we are smiling and the rest is dull, boring, mechanical days. Every day should be a festival. And in the ashram context, if we look at the number of birthdays, if we take the whole, almost every day becomes some kind of a mini festival or the other. It's like celebrating life and celebrating creation. So this was uh, what I wanted to read. And uh, many times we know that she would grant such such beautiful things. Uh, just I'll read few of them. In 1966, a youth wrote to the mother, May I be a living example of Shurbindo's teachings? Now, you know, one could ask such a thing. It looks like almost an impossibility to even imagine that one could be a living example of Shurbindo's teaching. And mother, mother's answer was, Your aspiration will be fulfilled. So there were no holds barred. It the, the limitations were within our heads. Oh, how can I ask this to the mother? It's an impossibility. We could ask. And she would not say, oh, it's very difficult, it's impossible, think about it in next life. She would say it will be fulfilled. But we should know the catch. Whenever divine says tathastu, so you know, you don't, here we didn't have to do much tapasya to get a tathastu. But it was enough. But tathastu doesn't specify how much time it will take. And what will be the circumstances on the way? So if we ask for a thing like, let me be a living example of Sri teachings, it means that uh, we are not going to be spared the calvary of um, the crucible of uh, purification. Uh, there is a very nice uh, poem of Tagore where he says, Jake tomi bohite chaho apar premier bhar eke bare sabe tomi gochaye daotar He whom you want to bear the burden of your universal love in one go, you smash all his supports, all his dresses, everything is torn away. Na thaketar manapaman, na thaketar dhan. Even his uh, man is taken away from him and of course apman, everything is taken away. And then what you do? You make him akla akinchan. He becomes alone without owning anything and he is put on the road. And what happens then? You alone are his all around and wherever he turns his eyes, he finds you. So we can ask that mother, may I be and there is a very beautiful prayer of the mother. Oh Lord, teach me to be an instrument of thy love. It is such a powerful prayer, just one line. And several times I have wondered and with trembling heart I have aspired for it. But I know what it means. This prayer is just one line. Teach me to be an instrument of thy love. What it means, it's it's not like, okay, I mean, to to just to 
feel touch of that divine love is so difficult for human nature but she could say yes and if she said yes then it doesn't matter it will fulfill itself on her birthday another girl student asked sweet mother make me a spark of your splendid light so you know so many beautiful things and one of the uh, folders which of course very often people distribute on birthdays to each other and it's very beautiful shobindo speaks about it it's a letter of shobindo which used to be given on birthdays let the new birth become manifest in your heart and radiate in calm and joy and take up all the parts of your being mind and vision and will and feeling and life and body so new birth not only in the soul but let it spread new birth of the mind a new way of understanding a new way of uh, knowing things right now it's an old way old birth so our mind has to do a galley slave labor to know one thing so much information we have to feed and then we have to churn it out vomit out it that's not the way to know when a mind is luminous with light as shubindu says thy golden light came down into my mind the gray rooms of my mind sun touched became the gray rooms and a bright reply to wisdom's occult plane a calm illumination and a flame thy golden light came down into my heart smiting my life with thy eternity now has it grown a temple where thou art and all its passions point only towards thee so this new birth where the heart becomes a now no more a place wrestling of uh, love and hate and uh, sorrow and happiness but a place where the sweetness and love of the lord and his joy resides so this is a new birth in the heart a new birth in life full of joyous strength the spirit of service to the divine all ambitions and passions are passed away and they turn into the spirit of service to the divine like the monkeys in ramayana so you know the transformation of the vital and in the very body so the body itself can take a new birth the body it can be uplifted into a new birth in the spirit so the cells no more respond to the old movements but to something new to the new consciousness let each date in your life be a date of its growth and greater consciousness till and this very beautiful till all in you is the child of the mother mm-hmm. not just the soul but the mind the heart the life the passions the body and uh, it reminds me of how once someone asked the mother mother what is the difference between purusha and prakriti so mother said i don't know you better ask nalini now we know nalini is manas putra of shurbindo and mm-hmm. who can match his understanding and tremendous uh, i mean intellectually a giant among many other things of course a great yogi so we should not call a great yogi just an intellectual but even in the intellectual realm the one who could uh, best understand and you know write on shurbindo so she asked ask nalini yes nalini what is it <laughs> madra what does nalini da say and that's called becoming a child of the divine mother if mother says that she does not know then i must say i am completely ignorant <laughs> mother's ways of you know not only that didn't start giving a lecture on purush and prakriti <laughs> if mother says and then mother says well they are not two they are two poises of one then she of course explained this was her way of seeing nalinida has the pride of intellect gone away or not once mother told him nalinida recounts it that once mother told me that you know i had also uh, done lot of things in philosophy and such interest and read a lot of things but you know i left all that aside so nalinida right this was her way of telling me lest i develop the pride of the intellect to remind me this was her way of saying so new birth in the mind not just that you know i yes yes i i i turn towards mother and shubindo but i'll carry my old ways of thinking and my old perception and conceptions so he says let it spread till all in you is the child of the mother let the light and power and presence envelop you 
So it's not just finding the divine within, but enveloping all around. It's a wonderful meditation to feel the divine is enveloping us. And protect and cherish and foster. Divine cherishes us. No, that's what we were reading in Savitri, that it's not just Satyavan keen to meet Savitri, the soul in man. But Savitri, the divine mother, keen to meet Satyavan, cherishing and protects and foster till all your inner and outer existence is one movement and an expression of its peace and strength and ananda. This is the goal of yoga. People, when they talk about self-realization, I find it's putting it down 100 notches below. And sometimes people say, oh, yes, yes, goal of all yoga. There also, you know, it must be self-realization. I said, please, <laughs> we start with self-realization because we discover we are nobody and nothing. <laughs> so that is the beginning of the self-realization. <laughs> then all other comes in. What is more than that? said, we can't say, you have to discover it yourself. Figure it out. To use you know, American way, go figure it out. <laughs> so, is one movement. Imagine, inner and outer existence is one movement. All division ceases because God fills it up. And an expression of its peace and strength in Ananda. On June 19th, 1967, the mother wrote to one of us, With my love for this year to be a peaceful and happy one, and my blessings for the blossoming of a luminous consciousness. Sometimes just one thing, one more step towards the future. May your life become useful. Each of them is so pregnant with so much of beauty. Just to think about it, like when I had read this message in mother's own handwriting, may your life become useful. I said, I've never thought like this, that, you know, <laughs> I thought just to take care of myself is being useful. But may your life be useful. Useful to whom? To my ego self, to my family members, useful to the divine, what it means that my life should be useful for the divine. We'll close with just one small little poem because it's a very, very blessed poem. And the blessed person to whom Shirobindo wrote this poem to R on her birthday. And this between 1909 to 1910, before coming to Pondicherry. And I fancy we are all that blessed R. <laughs> At least we can become that. The repetition of thy gracious years brings back once more thy natal morn. Upon the crest of youth thy life appears, a wave, a bone. Amid the hundreds thronging ocean's floor, a wave upon the crowded sea, with regular rhythm pushing towards the shore, our life must be. So each year should bring us closer to the divine. Then each day should bring us closer to the divine. And a time should come when not only each minute, each moment, each heartbeat, each breath should bring us closer to the divine. That's what we should aspire for. So with regular rhythm, it should flow towards the shore. That's what our life should be. And for that, whom do we rely upon? My God, so difficult. So Shivinda gives us the answer there. The power that moves it is the ocean's force. Who moves our life? The divine ocean's force. Invincible, eternal, free. And by that impulse, it pursues its course inevitably. Whether we like it or not, we know it or not. We too by the eternal might are led just as the waves are pushed by the ocean floor and the waves don't know because they don't see the depths. But the ocean knows that's because of me, the silent depths that there is this propulsion. So we too by the eternal might are led to whatsoever goal he wills. So why should we worry about what's my mission? What's, <laughs> what's your mission? What mission? <laughs> we are not missionary people. <laughs> It's the divine whose will we have to do. And whatever that will is. The sword is a joy in being making. The sword is a joy in the battle and the conquest. The sword is a joy when it is broken and kept aside. That equal joy discover. Whatever it be. To whatsoever goal he wills. Our helm he grasps. Our generous sail outspread. His strong breath feels. So beautiful line. Our helm he grasps. So in old yogas we have to cling to the... People say, Maka Achal Pakarna. Mother's 
helm we should grasp here it's all the way around mother is holding us by the collar so when people ask how what is the mode of initiation in ashram so old time people used to say they catch your uh, choti shika you know hair you are caught by the hair by <laughs> mahakali's grace you decide <laughs> so beautiful you know you are held by the neck you are held by the divine by those arms of love yes his strong breath fills who fills the sail of our life his breath exulting in the grace and strength of you pursue the oceans distant bound don't be afraid we are so full of fear full of fear for everything the very great mystic who has said i think it was swami ramtirth are you afraid afraid of what of god that is nonsense because you know that's it. of elements dare them of others like that he continues and said then he says say i am god of course this was a gyan yoga's way so we are afraid of what swami vivekananda says brahman is fearless when he was asked in one of his conversations tell me one attribute of brahman he doesn't say it's stainless is pure and he says brahman is fearless a man who has realized brahman by his very fact of realization fear passes away mother says it in another way she she says in fact this also that one of the attributes and then she says something very interesting of all impurity is fear is the worst when fear is gone that means that's that's the sign pursue the oceans distant bound trusting the pilot's voice the master's ruth love what a play of you know ruth is word we don't use now nowadays for love we use it only for ruthless the other way around but master's ruth that rings us round so what is there to worry and fear rejoice and fear not for the waves that swell in life life doesn't always give beautiful things it has its own share of kalosmi bhava but see behind the mask of terror the face of our beloved that was given to arjuna but duryodhana saw only terror <laughs> and enemy but arjuna was delighted and of course he was smitten to see that behind the mask of terror there is the face of the beloved rejoice and fear not for the waves that swell these storms that thunder winds that sweep always the captain always our captain holds the rudder well he does not sleep we don't have to worry <laughs> he knows not sleep <laughs> What is that line in the Gita? Ya nishas sarv bhuteshu tasya jagrati sayam. So we can make it like this: Ya nishas sarv bhuteshu tasya jagrati. <laughs> the Lord, the Avatar, Krishna. So he is awake. Our pilot <laughs> is always awake. He cannot sleep. What beautiful lines these are! If in the trough of the enormous sea, thou canst not find the sky for spray. but sometimes it may happen that this waves besiege us and we can't see the sky we can't see the sun we think it's the last moment fear never for our sun is there with thee by night and day sun does not sleep at night for a moment we are unable to see it it's still there changing the cycles of the earth it's still there pulling the earth towards itself it just that we don't see it so there are moments when we don't see yet we should know that he is there and then finally because you may say all that is very fine it's good but sometimes people do die they do have mishaps they do meet with failure and defeat what about them so here is should been those even those who sink in the victorious flood maybe one day sometimes it happens that the flood besieges and you sink even those who sink in the victorious flood where to the sink into his breast where is he not <laughs> he who to some gives victory joy and good to some gives rest his mother way is saying come my child after we have served this great divided world god's bliss and oneness are our inborn right <laughs> so we should not worry about victory or failure and so beautifully in the divine worker shubhendra says victory is thy passage mirrored through fortune's glass failure is cradled on thy deathless arms both are on thy arms 
Failure is cradled on thy deathless arms. Victory is thy passage mirrored through fortune's glass. So he may give victory, he may give defeat, he may give life, he may give death. Either which way we go to him. When we rest, then also we are resting in his lap. But then obviously it is written to a young person. It's a very vast canvas. And probably she may get disoriented. What is the Lord meaning? Hey, does he mean that maybe I may meet something like this? So look at Shurabindo's very, very compassionate touch. But thou <laughs> look to the radiant days that wait. So you know how he brings the personal note in the impersonal. This is the beauty of Shurabindo's uh, personality that it is an impersonal personality. In everything that Shurabindo is right, you can look at it from a universal point of view. And you can look at it from a very personal point of view. So here also you see he has given a great universal truth. That divine is leading us. He is everywhere. Through every which way. In every which way. Through every event and circumstance. He is leading us towards himself. And we should aspire for that. To push ourselves towards that. But at the same time now he is assuring to all of us. Why should we who have turned to the divine. Think otherwise. But thou Look to the radiant days that wait beyond the driving rain and storm. When storm comes, know that there is something beyond the storm. Long back I had seen a very nice card with a very nice inscription of it. Wisdom is the light that comes after the storm. So we may add wisdom and strength are the gifts of the storm. When storm comes, it comes to give us gift. Don't worry, I also have brought a gift. It's badly wrapped. You can't see it. <laughs> but I leave this gift and go away. But yes, I know, my being is very turbulent. Like somebody coming and you know, the whole house is topsy-turvy. But at the end, because that too is a concealed mask of God. He leaves a gift and that gift is very nice. <laughs> Wisdom and strength. <laughs> I have seen the vision of a happier fate brightening thy form. He says, don't worry. The fact that divine is accepted, it means what can be our fate? When people speak about fate, someone whom the divine has accepted, what can be the fate? But divinization, whatever time it takes. And the last stanza, confident of his grace. Expect his will. Don't look here, try to hear the voices of the ego. Expect. They too serve who wait and watch. Whatever his will is, expect his will. Confident of his grace. Let him lead, though hidden be the bone. Many times we can't see the leading of the Divine Mother. Shobindo says that in the synthesis. Because her ways are not the ways that the human mind would want or our self-flattering ego would desire. She has her own ways. So, hidden be that bone. See him in all that happens. How oh, beautiful. That fulfill for which thou wait born. We'll close with these four lines, which are like a mantra. Confident of his grace, expect his will. Let him lead, though hidden be the bone. See him in all that happens. That fulfill for which thou wait born. Thank you.